Hello. Do I sound different today? Uh, no. Do I sound different today? Um, which one are you? I, I'm, I'm the, I'm the funny one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, which one are you? Are you the serious one? I'm the one who's in his office today. Me too. I'm in my office. Well, you're usually in your office. Yeah, that's true. So I am. I am. Uh, I'm in my office. I and finally, Ben, for for close followers of the podcast who have been following the saga of my microphone stand and where it is or where isn't it and what country is it in, uh, my <laughs> microphone stand is finally being used to record a podcast in my office at work. Amazing. You're not. Your microphone's not in a hat. No, but I wait. I have the hat. Hold on. Hold on. Here's the Put hat. It on. Can, Put here, it on. Okay, it's on now. Can you see it? It's beautiful. <laughs> Love it. That is a stylish hat that you have there from a golf tournament, I believe. Um, it's a golfing of, hat. Of, golf. uh, once a year where there's good golf, there's right. a meeting there as well. And I uh, got a hat at that meeting um, at the same meeting where uh, you could have a fellow roll you a Cuban cigar or roll you a, a Cuban fellow roll you an American cigar. <laughs> right. Don't. I mean, I think what you were doing before was illegal. Uh, now it's okay because uh, President Obama says uh, uh, roll, roll all the Cuban cigars you want. To anyone listening to this podcast, do not try to bring cigars back from Cuba because despite what the president says, this, this, this information has not made its way down to the lowest levels of the TSA. So um, this is a public service announcement. Um, uh, I, have, I have got immense pleasure no that's that's not true i have i have watched with immense pleasure as uh, linda harris who used to download but not listen and who is now listening to the podcast has told the story repeatedly of how she tried to bring cuban cigars back into the united states from canada well from from cuba from- via canada and was uh soundly uh chastised for that and caused her great uh great trauma so, and, and, um, whoa, whoa, because of you, because of me. yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the, the best part of the story is that, uh, that she was bringing you Cuban cigars. She was my cigar mule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, she felt, um, she felt like a criminal. She did. They, and, and in fact, I think she was, she was, she, well, she would have been if she had, uh, yeah. proceeded. Yes. Um, I, I, I think my favorite part of the story that didn't happen was was when Linda told the TSA agents, "Fine, I'll just smoke them right here." <laughs> yes. Do you have a light? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Don, Don, I have I have what's known in uh, North Carolina as pollen throat. Oh my God! Do you know, do you know I, about this? I I believe I might have a little bit of pollen throat myself. Oh, it's the worst. I I I don't know. It's like for two weeks out of the year, I wake up. With like someone has punched me all night. Mm. Well, and potentially, <laughs> which is different than the other fifty weeks a year, when, right? Yeah, when, yeah. It's, when it's your wife punches you all night because yeah. you snore. Yeah, she. Uh, I'll tell you. Last night, um, at some point, I didn't look at the clock. There was a a uh, large um, duvet match in our bed <laughs> where where I I felt like violated. Because at some point, I, everything that was covering me was ripped from me. And I was like, what is going on? And Danny responded, you had all the covers and I was cold. And now I had, and then I had nothing. And it was awful. It was like, it, it I mean, I don't, it was, I know it was the middle of the night. Um, and, and I couldn't get back to sleep because I, I felt so, um, I mean, so it was so bad. 
Um, but those are the types of things that happen in my house. I'm sure they happen in all houses. Um, so, so, but this is unrelated to the pollen throat. Uh, I think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was looking for a connection there. Yeah, I can't. I I, I can't. Uh, I, I I can't prove that those two things are related. <laughs> okay. But it, yeah, it, it potentially is unrelated to that. <laughs> well, I um, just since this is now a medical medical podcast, yeah, yeah. Oh. where we talk about our ailments. Um, I had a terrible uh, sinus headache. Uh, yesterday, and uh, so I took some sinus medicine, so I had a really good night's sleep. Uh, yeah, so uh, that was good, but th- that may be the, the last night in a while because I'm going to Europe, and I'll be jet-lagged, and uh, I, I might not sleep well. So You get some mel- melatonin? I do. I have the melatonin. I have the Benadryl. Uh, I have uh, the more of the sinus medicine, so... Oh, you should be fine, then. Take mm. uh, take all three of those things at the same time. <laughs> with a glass of wine. <laughs> That's... I'm, that, and, and, you know, I'm a doctor. <laughs> the uh, kind that helps people. Yeah, the kind that helps people. Um, well, if we're talking about our ailments, my knee <laughs> is swollen. Um, I, it, it's hockey related. And uh, I did run into my actual doctor at the hockey arena last night. And that like, might be why your knee hurts if you yeah, ran into him. R- right. Yeah, oh, hey, I ran into him. Um, uh, <laughs> but I proceeded to say, hey, um, do you mind since we're both here? Can you take a look at this? <laughs> And he said, sure. Uh, and uh, his uh, professional opinion was that I broke the bursa sac that surrounds my knee. Oh, my. Well, it sounds worse than it is. It actually doesn't hurt at all. It's just all, like, puffy. Mm. Um, so so well, that's, what's, that's what's going on. Well, my, my knee hurts. Um, I'm pretty sure it's because I'm old, Ben. <laughs> oh, well, I'm getting old, Don. Every day. Every day I get older. And, and in fact, the, to, to pull this right back on topic, in two days... I literally will get older. It's oh, my, it's my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank Happy you. Happy birthday. How, how, old, how old are you going to be? If you, 30, if you 37. I, I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the age. The big three seven. The big three seven uh, in a row <laughs> for the Kevin Smith fans out there. Um, I, uh, <laughs> in fact, I'm drinking uh, a, uh, a, a, uh, venti triple vanilla non-fat latte from Starbucks, which uh, was my birthday gift from the good folks oh, at Starbucks. Oh, yeah, because they do that. They do. It's nice. It's nice of them to do that. That is very nice. Ah, that was uh, that's my post post drink um, uh, lip smack, I guess, mm. or or whatever whatever it might be called. Hey, um, excuse me. That was a, a little a little sniffle. I uh, I got I got some stuff I wanna I wanted to talk about, but first I wanted to tell you. Oh my gosh, this sounds like we're I'm doing a spot. A spot. I'm telling me about something you like. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you about something I like. Something that I ordered. Oh, oh, I, oh, I got, I got stuff to tell you about too. So you okay. go first. Um, on, on its way to me right now is a new MacBook. Mm. I can't wait. I can't wait, Don. Is it the new MacBook? Yes. Oh, yes. did you get what? gold? I did not get gold. Oh. I'm, I'm not Kanye. <laughs> Kanye gets gold. I got um, I got the gray, space gray, mm, mm-hmm. not silver. I figured mm-hmm. I'd, I'd switch it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just I couldn't go all the way to, to gold. Um, but yes, it's uh, it, it's on its it's on its way apparently, or at least the the or it, it has not as you can follow from the uh, Apple website. It has not yet shipped out of China, mm-hmm. but but it is uh, someone is making it for me right now, and cool. uh, I'm very 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 excited. Yeah, so I just finished listening to an episode of the talk show uh, with um, uh, John Gruber, um, and his guest was Joanna Stearns, who writes for the Wall Street Journal. And she, um, in the same week, 
as recounted on this most recent episode of the talk show. In the same week, she reviewed Apple Watch, she reviewed the new MacBook, and she got a puppy. <laughs> Whoa. What was the best? Uh, what, what was the best of those three for her? Was it the puppy? Um, hard to say. Yeah. The, the, during the show, the puppy uh, pooped on a wee wee pad, and that's actually the title of the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, and her her puppy. This is this is great. Her puppy's name is Browser. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> we because we? because calling it. Uh, Internet Explorer or or uh, Chrome would wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have been good names. Yeah, Firefox though. I mean, well, that's they discussed this on the show, so we will we will add this to uh, we will add this to, to show notes for people to to check out. So it's it was a good episode actually. They talked a lot. They mostly talked about the watch and uh, yeah. So, but it's it, again uh, highly recommended if you've got two hours and thirty four minutes uh, to listen to a couple of nerds talk about nerd stuff. Hey, uh, that sounds that sounds good to me. I'm I'm always looking for nerds to talk about nerd stuff to me. Usually about food safety stuff, but mm-hmm. I do like to hear about uh, non food safety stuff too. Did you? I saw you posted on uh, on the interwebs as I stalk you from time to time uh, that uh, you went to an Apple store to to figure some stuff out with the watch and uh, you knew more, more about it than the sales associate. Oh my God. I felt so bad for this guy. Cause he was just, he was trying really hard, but it's just like, dude, did they not send you to <laughs> Apple watch class to learn all this stuff? But, but then I, I will have a little bit of compassion because again, and this is just, just like I say, literally just finished listening to this episode of the talk show. And, and one of the things that Gruber talked about was the fact that it re you really do have to spend a couple of days. It is, what was he said? He said he didn't want to call it complicated, but it's 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 complex, right? It's not it's not like the iPhone where you just look at it. Oh, I hit this and stuff happens, right? right? It's uh, it really is kind of complicated, and you do have to spend some time uh, with the watch. You have to spend some time with the Apple Watch app on the phone because there's certain things that you can customize from the watch. There's certain things from the phone, and it really a, a five minute or even a ten minute <clears throat> excuse me try on session is not going to tell you what you need to know to to decide whether you want to to buy this thing or not. The, the try-on session is really good for getting a feel for the bands, though. And so um, I – so originally so, – Yeah, so what are you doing? Tell, so, tell me what's well, going on. And is this why people tune into our food safety podcast to Whatever. hear about us talk about technology? Well, we don't do it for them, right? Exactly. Um, People, they'll just, so, just look. If you don't want to hear this part, fast forward about twenty six minutes. <laughs> yes, and then and then be sure to skip skip the, the, the section at the end where we don't talk about food safety right. either. We're we're talking to you, David Tharp. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go, um, go ahead. Talk. So. Um, so originally I was like, oh, my God, the, the Apple Watch with the Milanese Loop looks fantastic. And I shared a photo uh, link with uh, Randy Warabo, who concurred. I shared a photo link with Linda Harris, who said, ooh, I want that too. So, again, two, two big thumbs up from a couple of my, my food safety fashion-conscious friends um, that that was the right move. And then I listened to last week's episode of uh, the Accidental Tech Podcast, and they were, you know, not, they were kind of lukewarm on it, uh, uh, and then and a couple of them had shared that their maybe their strategy was was going to be to get the Apple Watch Sport, which is the lower end model with the Sport band. Um, and then I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's it's a first generation release. It's not going to be fantastic. I should just get 
the lower end model with the sport band. Well, I went into the store and I tried on the sport band and, and they, <clears throat> they're very careful not to call it a rubber band. It is a fluoro elastomer band, right? right? Okay. That's the marketing name for it. Um, and probably that's cause that's really what it is. But I, did not like that band. I did not like the way it felt. I couldn't get it comfortable. It was either too tight or it was kind of too loose. And even when it was loose, it was kind of grippy on my wrist. Now, I understand if you want to use the watch for like fitness tracking purposes, why you want a nice tight fit because that's going to give you a better uh, reading of your heart rate and things like that. Um, but I just really did not like it. Uh, and so now I'm sort of back to, well, you know, I was thinking about, well, I could get the Apple watch sport and then upgrade. And, oh, this is, this is something that the guy in the store told me incorrectly. He said that the, the bands are not interchangeable. In fact, the bands are interchangeable among watch sizes. So the two sizes are 38 and 42 and any of the 42 bands will fit a 42 watch. So I could theoretically get the Apple watch sport and then get a Milanese loop band. But by the, but because the, you can't, you can't buy the watch with the band, you know, you have to add on the band, right? Right, and then you're already buying the sport band, and so then you have two bands, and so then you have two bands, and it's like, well, and then looking at the the yes, the the, the Apple Watch is more expensive than the the Apple Watch Sport, but it's not that much more expensive, and then I'm going to spend money for the band anyway, and I'm and then now I'm kind of back to well, I'm just going to get the Apple Watch with the with the Milanese band, and and then maybe get a add on a sport band, which is less expensive, and then just use that like if I want to do it for like workout purposes. So so that's kind of where I am today. And I was thinking about ordering one today because I'm going out of the country and they're already uh, shipping in June. And, on, and oh, the other thing is every year, New Jersey Association for Food Protection um, um, puts a gift in the silent auction for the annual meeting. <clears throat> and I typically pick that gift and I in uh, f- as far back as my memory goes have uh, well not quite not quite back to the beginning but but a couple of years ago I settled on I'm just going to buy an Apple product Every, yeah <laughs> because they gave me a budget and an Apple product fits within that budget and so this year I am going to get one or two Apple watches to Whoa. bring to for the silent auction and like okay so now they're already shipping in June I need to get my order in because if they're if they're shipping in July, if if it yeah, right. goes to July well the meeting is in July it's at the end of July but <clears throat> I want to make sure and if I order something for the silent auction, it will actually physically be in my hands in time for me to take to Portland. And if I'm going to order stuff for the silent auction, I might as well order one for me too. So anyway, t- bottom line is today I think I am probably going to order the Apple Watch with the Milanese Loop today. That that is uh, that was a kind of a long story, but but I think we ha- you had to have everything. I, I needed the background. So. Yeah. Do you wear a watch now? I do not, and that is the other thing. That's uh, this is where I want to talk to you. Ben. Oh yeah, I know. I've been, but you know yeah. what I'm doing, Ben? I am I am imagining myself with the uh, walking down the street with the <laughs> with yeah. the Milanese loop on my wrist, and I like it. I hey, I like it too. I uh, I am I'm going back and forth on this mm. um, because I have not worn a watch probably for five or six years, mm-hmm. and. And I like that freedom of mm-hmm. not wearing a watch. Mm-hmm. But I see this and I think, I I trust the Apple people. I trust them a lot that they might think that I need a watch again. 
And well, here's, here's the thing, Ben. My wife is not getting one. And she doesn't think I really need one, and I need someone to send little hearts and send my heartbeat to Ben. So, <laughs> right, right, yes, yeah, good, exactly, right. I mean, that's that. Th- there's the thing is, I I didn't think that I needed a smartphone at one point, mm. and then I I cannot live without what I have. So I I just trust that that they know they know what's best for me. Uh, <laughs> we, we trust our Apple overlords. I do trust my Apple overlord. Um, I I have uh, I, I don't know if this plays into your uh, watch band thoughts, but I, I have um, historically. So I have a couple of like fashion, you know, metal fashion watches that that I'm wore, you know, wore for special events, mm-hmm. and the Milanese style band like pulls all the hair on my arm really yeah so like my hair i don't know why that is but my hair gets caught in it and it hurts so i'm 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 out on that um but i've been looking at the um the stone leather uh bands Mm. because i think they look they look very nice but i but i'm in the same i'm in the same boat i think i'm like maybe i get a sport maybe i don't do i even get one how will i sell this to danny all of these things are playing into playing into my discussion. Um, well, my, my my solution is um, I made enough consulting money that I, I can get myself a yeah. toy. That's yeah. that's my yeah. You know, and it's a, like a three hundred dollar toy. It's not like it's, a, not, it's not a super expensive toy, yeah. right? You're not getting the con- the Kanye. No, no, because that's ugly. I mean, who it would is. want a gold watch? I don't know. Gold, I, uh, people with gold teeth. <laughs> is that I don't know. It is nice. I, I like this. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go mess around with one and try it on and and I it, it's hard with these because you don't know how much you'll use it until you actually have it and then mm-hmm. you may have it and be like oh uh, it's it's a beautiful watch but it I don't use it uh, to to do what I what I thought it would yeah um, and and I and I did I did uh, I w- am concerned about arm hair pulling yes. and that was mentioned on the last episode of. Uh, uh, ATP, but um, I put on the Milanese loop and it felt very smooth and it did not pinch my arm hair, pull my arm hairs at all. So, oh, good, good. Did, have you have you been to the store to try them on? No, uh, I'm mm. actually going. Um, I'm going to the mall that has the store today. Mm. Uh, and uh, as we were talking about it, I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go uh, 20 minutes early and see if I can get in there, and I'll be there sort of mid afternoon when, when hopefully no one's around. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go check them out. So before before we completely leave um, the idea of uh, stuff that we buy that's cool, yes. um, I do want to tell you I um, uh, recently made a, a, a small purchase, but it has been a very uh, nice and significant um, um, addition to my life. I recently bought a burr grinder. <clears throat> a burr grinder? Yes, for grinding my coffee beans. Oh, I was... <laughs> I was like, which to, to grind down my burrs? Yeah, yeah. Like, you have a do you have a burr on your skates <laughs> that you that you will be uh, grinding down? I see burr as in that's the name of the. I, I know that is the we, kind of grinder yeah, yeah. that you uh, we talked that you about. Have, this. We have talked about this. Yeah, I'm yeah. surprised I'm, that you're not uh, you more more on on the ball. Um, don't be surprised. So I and this is uh, this is highly recommended. I learned about this from Warren Ellis, who is a an author 
that we've talked about before on the podcast, but he has a weekly newsletter where he just talks about cool stuff. And I'm currently reading a book he recommended and, and I, I got this burr grinder, but this is the, and, and it turns out, I found out when I had uh, dinner with Linda Harris this week uh, in Chicago at this IAFP workshop, just to make it a little bit about food safety, that she has the exact same burr grinder. So it is a Porlex mini stainless steel coffee grinder. It is a hand cranked, uh, burr grinder with ceramic wheels, and it is fantastic. It is it is small, it is lightweight, it is uh, affordable, and it makes really nicely ground coffee. So, uh, high, highly recommended. And you are you are using use an AeroPress? Is that correct? Uh, well, so here's the thing. Um, I. Uh, I did not have an AeroPress. I have oh. bought I have bought AeroPresses for one or both of my sons and my brother because the nerds were all talking about yeah. how wonderful the AeroPress was. But because I didn't have a burr grinder and I didn't want to buy pre-ground coffee, I did not have an AeroPress, and I was using the Starbucks Via, which is fantastic. It's very convenient. It's basically Starbucks' take on instant coffee. Um, but I, because I was on the fence about a burr grinder, I wasn't. I didn't want to get an AeroPress because that would just be useless. But then once I saw this uh, recommendation for this for this grinder, and it was like so small and not electronic, and you know, so it didn't need to be plugged in, and right. quite an affordable price. I'm like, well, hell, I am getting that, and I'm getting an AeroPress at the same time. So I recently. Br- purchased both of those things but it was the it was the burr grinder that that kind of triggered the aeropress purchase huh i'm uh i I, well i I look forward to hearing about your burr grinder and aeropress adventures Mm. um so far it's been great i love it good because i i you know i go back and forth on these things and i I've, i've been totally out of grind coffee for a while and i had a tassimo which is like the Betamax version of the Keurig cup, and mm-hmm. and I told you a couple episodes. Oh yeah, ago. yeah, you were into the yeah. into the Keurig. I'm well, I'm or into Nespresso. Nespresso, right? And I am all in on Nespresso so much that I do not drink coffee. Like <laughs> I'm I'm not drinking coffee anymore. I'm only drinking espresso based drinks. Wow. Um, and I, and it's, and it's, fan, it's, it's really good, but I'm, I'm always looking for that, the, the next, uh, coffee experience. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I really like it. And we discovered, Linda and I discovered we have the same one, except we discovered some, in, an interesting fact, which I will reveal here on the internet and uh, apologies in advance to, for embarrassing Linda. Um, I have been fastidious about, uh, taking this completely apart and cleaning the ceramic, <laughs> burrs uh, because they get like coffee stains on them. And um, when I revealed this to Linda, she says, oh, it comes apart. Uh, she's never cleaned <laughs> so it. She's never cleaned it. Um, so apologies, Linda, for uh, – but, you know, this payback for the Cuban cigar stories. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's – anyway, just highly recommended. It's just – it's very satisfying. It's a physical experience. You put the beans in, you grind it, and they're kind of hard. And then, you know, the, the eventually the beans all go, and then it turns smoothly, and it just makes this wonderful coffee smell and this wonderful grinding sound. So anyway, um, I hadn't used it this past week uh, because I've been traveling, but um, really just a real – but it is like small and portable enough so you could actually take it with you if you, if you wanted to, to, to take it with you to grind your own beans. But anyway, high, highly recommended. It's a good, good uh, um, experience for camping. Yeah, it would right? be fantastic for both, camping. You, you can yeah. take both of those. Not that I camp. I don't even know why I said that. You know I hate camping, Don. 
Well, you know, back in the day when I was doing a lot of camping with the with the Boy Scouts, yeah. this would have been this would have been absolutely perfect. And and in fact, um, even if you don't camp and you do really have a coffee fetish, um, it, it's small enough and lightweight enough. You could you could pack it into your bag and take it with you along with your Aeropress. So you could have if you just had a way to make hot water, then in your hotel room, you'd be good to go. You got your, you got your whole thing. Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's good. Cool. Good. Um, what was oh, I? 20, 23 oh. minutes in, we should talk about food safety. Uh, yeah, people have fast-forwarded uh, to, to this point just to hear us talk about food safety now. Um, I Hey, so I got some stuff and uh, that I want to tell you that mm. we haven't that, – that doesn't relate to things that are in um, our Dropbox folder, mm-hmm. both, of the, both of the things that we have in there. Um, so I, you know, as part of what, you know, what I do – um, as I've, I've mentioned before and we've talked about, I, I'm an extension um, specialist and I work uh, um, largely with family and consumer science extension agents. That's what they're uh, referred to as here in North Carolina. Uh, in other spots, they may be uh, called other things um, like foods agents or food extension educators or Family consumer science extension educators. That's what you guys have, right? Extension educators. I, I was just about to look up what it is that we call them, but but you know what these people are. Uh, see, that's been like a, a evolutionary tree, right? Or, or branches right. on a tree, and the, uh, the the ancestor from which all of these are descended is the home economist. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Yes. They they've split off the phylogeny started there. Yes. Um, so so anyway, I. Um, a big, I guess, a big part of what I do—not I guess—I mean, a big part of what I do is develop programs that um, that extension agents in our state will deliver. Um, that I, 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 um, I, I, I guess I serve them as, uh, or I serve as a technical expert for the food safety questions or um, issues that they might be encountering in their communities, um, and. Uh, once a year, we we have this sort of organized new professional orientation for extension agents that have that have started their job with North Carolina Cooperative Extension within the last year, and for the last four or five years, um, it's the, this um, new professional orientation has happened in uh, in April, and it's been uh, Raleigh, here in Raleigh and. Some of the, uh, you know, maybe four or five agents that have come on board within the last eight to 10 months. Um, some of them, you know, two weeks after their start date and some of them maybe 10 months. Um, we, we spend an afternoon together talking about food safety and I've always kind of just put together this, uh, I don't know. I, I would say before this year, I, I didn't know what to do or how to, how, how to introduce myself to them or introduce food safety because, because our extension, Agents are are um, historically doing, you know, all things family and consumer science. So housing, energy, financial management, food safety, nutrition, and and so it's like one little part of of uh, of their day or potentially. And some of them may not do any foods at all. We have some counties, um, and you know, this is sort of. Um, the way it used to be, and I'll tell you about the sort of transition that we've got right now in a second, but it used to, we, we, I might have spent four hours, three or four hours with these individuals, and they're only going to do youth development programming in their, in their county. Um, so, and some come in with various backgrounds. You know, some may have um, nutrition as a background, but some have come in with, um, you know, traditional home economics. Uh, anyway, it's, 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 it, it, 
it, it's various. And so what I've done is kind of said, okay, I'm going to you know, talk at you for three hours about food safety and tell you about the burden of foodborne illness. And we'll talk about norovirus and we'll talk about, um, you know, how outbreaks are investigated. And I, I always like walked away from those three hours kind of thinking like, yeah, that was kind of a like crappy job. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that I was, you know, that I felt like I, I hadn't done enough. It just was, we're trying to, I was trying to be all things to to everyone and not really knowing a whole lot about what they were looking for, which probably isn't the best way to do training or education or extension. But it was, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really kind of think about it and always kind of came up on it. Anyway. Well, it was, and well, and let me just, just jump in for a second and say that this was, this is the old model, right? The expertise yes. resides at the universities. And so basically what you do is you, the extension person, you talk to the smart scientist type like Leanne Jacobs, and she tells you everything you need to know about norovirus, and then you take that information and you package it up into nice little bite-sized packets, and you share that with your agents. Now, that is a wonderful top-down command and control model, which is completely outdated. And so right. as, as soon as I heard you say that you sat there, and, and I know you said it this way for a, per, for a reason, you sat there and you talked at him for three hours. My God, what a horrible no, – no, no judgment, no. Ben. What a horrible way to spend the time. Why not? I think this is where you're going with this. Why not spend the three hours talking with them? Like you, you, yeah, you got to prepare something because if they all sort of sit there like, like, like bumps on a log, you have to fill the time. Right. But so prepare something, but have a conversation with them about what are they worried about? What are they thinking about? And then, and then you can work together and you're a smart guy. You have a great depth of knowledge. You can, you can kind of pivot and, and, and think and react. And, and, and then that'll be so, uh, and number one, it'll be great for them. And number two, it'll be so much better for you. Yes. Yes. It, it is all all of that, all of what you just said. That that was that was kind of it, and it was, um, it, it, you know, I, I just I guess I never like it was. I it it always takes a while for someone to figure out exactly where they fit into the system, and literally, it probably took me five years to fi- to figure out where what I should be doing, not what I should be doing from a, what do the administration think I should be doing, but like really for, for the betterment of, of the food safety programming that goes on in the state, I was like, well, what should I be doing? Um, and you know, telling them that the world health organization thinks that food safety is really important is not, it's not really in context for what they're going to do every day, which is someone's going to call them and ask about canning. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what we did. And I, I give, a hundred percent credit to um, uh, a, a relatively new colleague of mine uh, who I've mentioned her before in her her position. Uh, but we hired a um, uh, a local food specialist, a tenure track position, uh, about eighteen months ago, and her name is Dara Bloom. And Dara, um, and and this is. It, it, there's a, like a funny misconception problem or story here, but uh, someone had told me that Dara was planning on taking her, the agents in this session to the farmer's market. So not putting them in the, in this, you know, three hour lecture, but walking around the farmer's market and then, you know, having a, a, a discussion with them about local foods as they shopped around and talked to vendors and saw the types of foods that were out there. So that was what was, you know, someone mentioned to me. I was like, that is a brilliant, brilliant idea because that's where that, – that's really a, a teaching environment. That's really where we can um, where we can see things. Turns out 
what Dara was planning on doing was um, talking about the farmer's market uh, and not actually going. But she ended up, after she and I discussed this, we both ended up taking field trips. So I took um, three agents to um, a grocery store, and uh, we, we, we know um, some food safety people here. Uh, in in North Carolina, and the grocery store that I visited was Food Lion, and uh, one of the the great guys in North Carolina um, who who uh, does a lot of food safety um, you know operations programming for Food Lion is a guy named Steve Tracy, and he's really really involved at the state level, and he works uh, you know, for Larry Cole, who we both know, mm-hmm. um, and and so we went to Steve's store. So he's located um, in in Apex, which is just outside of Raleigh, and we sat with him for. Um, about 45 minutes and we walked through his store and I got him to tell these agents what he does for food safety and what he worries about and what they deal with and what types of questions they get from consumers. And it was like a, just for me a really, really good experience. For the agents, they were super engaged. They had all these questions that in my past and teaching them about the burden of foodborne illness, they just kind of like sat there and neither of us knew what to do with it. This one was like really, really great. The second thing that we did was um, I called up my one of my uh, environmental health specialist friends, uh, Angela. And Angela's a, um, uh, Angela Myers is a, uh, uh, an inspector here in Wake County. And we went on two restaurant inspections with her. And it was like the whole, the whole thing, you know, I can tell them about why foodborne illness is important and that hand washing is a problem. And, um, you know, there are things that we have to do. These are risk factors, but to actually walk into a kitchen with an inspector and have her say, here are the things that I see. These are the things that I'm worried about day in and day out. And I'm doing this four or five times a day. And here's what it's like to work with this industry because, you know, uh, you know, largely for our family consumer science agents, they're going to be working with consumers and they're going to be working with small restaurant caterer kind of, kind of businesses. Um, and so it was just like pretty fantastic to, to walk out into the field. And, and then really we got into all their questions about what they worried about. And we talked as we drove, we were able to talk about canning and talk about a whole bunch of different things, but it was, um, I I don't know. I I guess I just didn't, I, I, I'm glad that this idea popped up and, and to actually take someone out there into the field or a group of agents was so much, it was so much uh, more fruitful for them and for, for me as, as an instructor, um, that all, all of a sudden I was like, I need to always do this. Like, and clearly I can't always do that, but, um, for this, this type of a, a project and then I, I, or this type of, a uh, of an event, but then I got thinking, I was like, my grad students, you know, I take them to different spots, but even just to do this tour with them and show them where their research has impact or could have impact and go into these working systems. It was, I don't know, it was, it was just really good. And I talk so much about this, but actually going ahead and, and doing it with, with this group was, was just, um, I don't know, it just, it felt like the, the right thing to do. And it felt like it was, um, it, it, they got a lot more out of it than they would have had I talked at them and it was fun. Yeah. That's I'm, uh, the, um, 
the the uh, uh, what would it be twenty twenty year old version of me that didn't have that idea after I had been at Rutgers for five years is very jealous that you were clever <laughs> enough to come up with that hey, idea. So well done. I feel like I stole it from someone else who didn't have the idea. Who didn't? What I thought it was, and it doesn't matter. It was, it, yeah, it, great idea. It was great, it was super idea. cool, and I you know I just want to do more of that kind of thing. You know we we. As I talk about the program that I, that I run, it's all about what do people actually do, and telling people what people actually do is not nearly as powerful as showing them what they actually do and what they have to worry about. It was it was super cool. Yeah, and and just a couple of related experiences. You mentioning uh, graduate students and giving them those opportunities. I've been very uh, uh, blessed to have great collaborations, so that my graduate students can get out and see some of that real world stuff. Uh, Jenny Todd, who's working with me on uh, our specialty crops grant uh, that through the um, University of Maryland, <clears throat> has had a chance to work with Wes Klein and go and visit. Oh, some yeah. of these tomato packing facilities. And then uh, a Brazilian woman who's visiting my lab uh, and a Korean graduate student of mine both recently had the opportunity uh, to go down to Florida to go on the ag tours that, you know, organized uh, you know, in part or, or facilitated by our, our friend and colleague Michelle Daniluk. And, again, both of them came back telling me that how much they really appreciated the opportunity and they understand so much more about you know, food safety and agriculture in Florida, admittedly, not New Jersey. But, I mean, then there are sort of equivalent things in New Jersey, but not, not to the same, the same degree. But anyway, um, just uh, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, too, that, that I try to do as much as I can is when we do workshops and short courses here on campus or other places to at, allow graduate students to come at low or no cost so that if, even if they're not out in the field, they're at least now immersed in this community of practitioners, right? People who are coming here to, to, to the university from the industry to learn about food safety and for my graduate students just to be immersed in that environment. To, to, again, to, and, and, you know, and we've talked in the past, I think, about how increasingly graduate students at, at Rutgers, at least, are doing internships with food companies just to, to kind of bridge that gap between, okay, here's the academic world and you're taking classes and you're doing all this stuff, but guess what? There's a whole, there's a real world out there that you are eventually going to go into and, and what you're studying here matters. And by the way, here's a chance for you to kind of flash forward and go out into that real world and see what's going on so that now when you come back to the classroom and you come back to the laboratory, now you kind of, you get that more of a, that big picture. You're not disconnected from it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, you can read about this stuff and you can see the, um, I, you know, the, how food safety manifests itself in, um, in outbreaks, you can you can read the the coverage of it. You can read the papers, but to actually see some of this stuff, and then talk to someone about what they're what what they worry about, what they're dealing with, and how they grasp the um, the technical side of things, I just think is so valuable for for someone you know for a student, for an agent, so anybody who's doing education or de- or designing programs. I um, uh, also last week I, we. Yeah, you know, I, I told you maybe I don't know ten episodes ago that we have been working on this uh, certified food protection manager program um, that we have called it, called it Safe Plates North Carolina Safe Plates, which Doug pointed out to me might be um, someone might think it's about pottery, which <laughs> which, I, which is which is true. I yeah, mean, okay. Yeah, we don't we don't want any lead containing uh, uh, tableware. Right, right, right. Well, when, and when we were coming up with names, we had, you know there there's a really um, 
I, I think the one in the UK is like safe businesses, better businesses or something. You know, like they're, they're, it's not about having absolute safe food. It's about you're trying to protect your business. And so we, mm. we, we were talking about how do we brand this and what I, you know, what I, what we kind of envisioned was the, the meal that goes out. We are doing our best to make sure that uh, that we're that it's as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it's all, it's about food on the plate. Um, but but anyway, so we so we have this program called Safe Plates, and we we piloted it last year. We did um, uh, delivered it to I think just around three hundred um, managers. Um, most of them were in our school system, um, and then we we trained a bunch of agents. Um, uh, our kind of early adopter agents who have been delivering programs like ServeSafe for the NEHA uh, uh, manager program for a while and said, okay, here's here's what we're going to try and do. We're going to teach people about the concepts related to the food code by using these 12 different outbreak case studies um, and or incident case studies. And we're going to, you know, we'll, we have, we have real, real life stories that we'll, we'll take the lessons out of. And, and it's been, um, you know, it's really been a couple of years that we've been working on it. And we, we have, um, we have the modules, we have all the content we're right now in sort of designing this little booklet that'll go along with it. And it's kind of cool to have this, this thing. So we, so we've been sort of soft, um, launching it with, um, some agents and we trained, um, I guess we trained like seven in December and we did another 10 in, uh, February and we've got 16 next next week that we're going to train. But but in in the middle of this, um, uh, an agent had um, uh, was working with a with a county who was going to deliver ServeSafe. She said, "Hey, we have this other program. These were the county health folks. Um, we have this other program. Would you like us to to deliver this Safe Plates program?" Um, and the county said, "Yes, but we're stuck around these p- particular dates." So. Um, you know, are you able to make it? And the agent wasn't able to make all of it. She had some some commitments, so she you know called up called up the the specialist and said, "Hey, can you come help me out for a day and and teach this course with the with the real people and talk to you know someone who runs a a hot dog cart and someone who runs food safety in a nursing home and and deliver it." So we had like twenty participants, and I, I taught one day. Of, of this course and brought out one of my graduate students, Natalie Seymour, and said to Natalie, because Natalie's really interested in this, this area of translating science. That, that's really her, her thing that she's kind of expressed to me is this is what I want to do is, is take this, this love of food science that I have and, and, and communicate it. So we, her graduate project is around designing event, um, programs for food handlers. And I, so I said, you know, let, we have this opportunity I'm going to give you, if you want, a module to go ahead and and teach uh, teach this, and let's you know work on it's it's not just you know presentation skills. It's like being able to tell stories to people in 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 the real world that are you know are taking this course because they don't want to lose points on their um, on their inspection, but also they're running a food business and they do have real questions. And it was it was heartening. It was so fantastic to to have. Um, you know, a student kind of run with, here's, here's the module that I want you to, um, to focus on. And, and and she did a a fantastic job, um, you know, for an hour and a half talking about allergens and had a a lot of personal stories about, um, one of her siblings who has, uh, allergens, but we have this whole story, um, that is, um, 
was linked to uh, an incident where um, a teenager uh, died from you know anaphylactic shock after um, eating something that was cross contacted uh, with dairy and she had a dairy allergy um, and and so just you know it, it was uh, it, you, the the stuff with the agents made me made me you know think about this a little bit. It was the same kind of thing of giving this very real world experience to um, to a student uh, to to talk to the people and deliver education to the people that that she's really designing programs for. And it's you know as we were driving back the um, the, uh, the workshop is about an hour outside of Raleigh. As we were driving back, she you know she just was really. Um, enthused about that real world aspect and had all these ideas about when, you know, when these individuals were talking about things that would, would then get integrated into her project. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. I could not have hoped for any, um, uh, any, any better situation than that. So it's, I mean, the, I guess the, the older I get, or more seasoned I get, the more I want to, um, you know, give, give students the opportunity to do that real world stuff. And I, the less nervous, I guess I am about them doing a, you know, a bad job that might reflect on me. It's like, Oh no, I want them to, I, you know, I, I, I do want them to, to have this. And I, you know, sometimes I want them to screw up a little bit so we can talk about how, how I would have done that differently. Like that's the, that's the learning moment, right? Like it's, it's less about, our productivity and more about their um, growth as students, and so I was. It was. I just had that cool experience last week. Yeah, and t- so I want to. I want to talk about real world experiences, and I, I do want to talk about something. Actually, two two things uh, related to some some work that I've done uh, in in just literally in the last week. Um, uh, specifically, so let's start with how I spent my day a week ago. So a week ago, I had a documentary. Uh, film crew in my lab from about 9 a.m. until about 2 p.m. in my lab and in the building, um, the, and they're doing a documentary on shelf life. <laughs> um, and so this all came about. You may remember, I think we talked about this on the uh, on the podcast before. So I had worked with um, a woman at uh, Natural Resources Defense Council, not one of my favorite organizations in the world. They've done some stuff that's that I think is 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 not good and not science-based, but I was working with uh, a woman who wrote a book for them uh, with a report. Uh, no, I guess it, no, I guess it, uh, so, so, so sorry, I'm, I'm reading from an email here and getting confused. So, so uh, Dana Gunders is the woman. She wrote a book basically around this whole movement on like expired food. And, and oh, right. yeah, yeah. we've talked about this, that, you know, very often we throw food away that's not spoiled and there's a lot of confusion around shelf life dating. And, and anyway, so, so, uh, uh, this this woman that I had uh, reviewed uh, her her book for technical you know technical competency um, was very delightful to work for and just a, a real you know real good and I didn't mind getting a check from NRDC uh, taking some some money away from them you know us, using it for something what I thought was good um, but uh, sh- Dana in turn shared my name with a couple of people at Harvard um, uh, uh, Emily and Rebecca who uh, work in the um, so Emily is the director uh, for the Food Law and Public Policy Clinic, and she's the deputy director director of the Center for Health Law and Policy Innovation. And so, 
Emily works with this woman, um, Rebecca Richmond, who is a uh, essentially a, a documentary filmmaker, um, and and so they are doing uh, what they what they called a short documentary. Now we'll come back later to what short documentary means, but around this bizarre issue that that confuses people about the 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 dates on milk cartons, right? And just as a little factoid that they threw out that I found fascinating in Montana. The requirement is that that date be 12 days from the date of pasteurization. But in another state, I think it was Pennsylvania, that date is 17 days from the date of pasteurization. Now, I have to ask you, are those two states so different that those dates should be different? And, of course, the milk is largely the same. The bacteria are largely the same. I have to imagine that the refrigeration and the distribution channels in those two states are largely the same. And so the question becomes, why? Right? Why, why, is, that, why is that different? And really, what does it mean to have a date on a milk carton? And is it a sell-by date? Is right. it a use by date? And guess what? If it if you have a a, a poor temperature control in your refrigerator, um, it doesn't matter what it said, the date says on the carton. If you have excellent temperature control in your refrigerator, it doesn't it doesn't matter what the date says on the carton. It, it's really about the temperature in your refrigerator. And so they. We're doing this short documentary. It turns out that uh, my schedule and their schedule uh, juxtaposed nice, nicely, and so they wanted to come down. They wanted to talk with me about microbiology. They they did some, um, um, you know, they filmed me in the laboratory uh, wearing a lab coat doing dilutions, right, Whoa, to look show at how you. you, yeah, exactly. Look at you in exactly. the lab. Um, but talk about real world experience. They also, I, of course, it was Friday, and we, I had eventually my students staggered in. No, eventually, my students came in and started doing the work that they usually do on Saturday and Friday morning. And it was actually kind of noisy and I had to ask them to sort of quiet down. But then, then the documentary people got the great idea. Well, geez, we should, uh, we should in fact, uh, have, uh, film some of these students. So they got them to sign uh, release forms and, and film them doing some of the actual real microbiology that goes on in my lab. <laughs> and, uh, and we had, and we talked about milk and shelf life and back and spoilage. And again, there's this huge con- controversy. Like it blew their minds, Ben, to know that, Milk that is past its shelf life that may or may not be spoiled is perfectly safe. And so there's right. this fundamental confusion in, in the eyes of people about what does it mean for a food to be spoiled versus a food to be safe. And, and when we finish talking about milk, I want to I jump to a, a similar discussion about, about eggs. But, but, but with milk, I, I blew their minds when I told them that guess what? Spoiled milk is not unsafe. And in fact, uh, milk that's past its date is not unsafe because guess what? It's pasteurized milk. There will never be pathogens in that milk. That there's, There isn't a, a food safety issue there. So we had some interesting discussions about that. I used, again, just to, to complete the circuit using my research expertise, I used some computer models for pseudomonas growth in milk to try to predict for them how long they would need to leave milk out on the counter to introduce overt spoilage based on some assumptions about how many pseudomonads would have been in the milk to start with and how many pseudomonads it would take to cause the milk to be spoiled. And I gave, I gave her some recommendations uh, to basically take a container of milk and leave it out for one day and take another container and leave it out for two days. Uh, it turns out that um, I could tell that those things were off and spoiled, um, but that the other people on the film crew, they didn't 
really couldn't really taste the difference. So um, I, I guess the recommendation would have been go for three days, right? Are you are you Napoleon Dynamite? I I am. I don't know. I'm pretty. I'm sure I don't have the hair for it, but I am. I am pretty sure that I uh, do not. I am pretty sensitive to milk that is off for whatever reason. Maybe it's genetic. Maybe I don't know what it is, but but I I can really tell. I just it really really just grosses me out. So. Um, so, but we again, we had a very interesting, and they went into my colleague's sensory lab, and they they spent some time playing around with the lighting in the booth. And anyway, <laughs> it got into be a whole big thing, and you know, it's a documentary, but really, you know, it, it documentary, but maybe more a little bit of uh, uh, oh, you are uh, you are you are texting me uh, uh, information <laughs> about spoiled milk. I um, oh, and Napoleon Dynamite, and I Napoleon think. Dynamite, excellent. Oh, this is great. I'll have to link to this in show notes. But um, so um, it is. It was a fascinating experience. Doing this documentary, hopefully my students also found it fascinating. But then it turns out what they mean by short documentary is essentially they mean like something on YouTube that is five or seven minutes long. So they spent two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours in my lab, six hours maybe. Um, And this is all going to be boiled down to just some brief sound bites on this uh, five to seven minute documentary. But anyway, they were delightful to work with. They were were really inquisitive. They asked good questions. Hopefully we got some good sound bites. We got some good uh, discussion going. But anyway, very interesting experience. That was, that was my, that was my Friday a week ago. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I've I've done a little bit of video documentary stuff before, and the you know it, it does amaze me about how how much work goes into short spots, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's yeah. So I sent you two things. One, mm-hmm. you you've already mentioned a picture of Napoleon Dynamite doing uh, FFA oh, uh, testing. Uh, so doing um, milk t- testing, and and the quote that goes along with the picture is. He drinks a uh, you know some milk out of a bottle and goes that cow got into an onion patch because <laughs> he can taste it he's, mm-hmm. he's sensitive. Um, anyway, the other thing I sent you was something that that came across my my email email inbox um, from Livestrong.com a couple of days ago mm-hmm. about the consequences of drinking expired milk. So you know why this? I mean, we we, we can both guess at why this myths out here, but it gets proliferated with stuff like this mm-hmm. um, food poisoning. If you drink milk past the expiration date, you run the risk of developing food poisoning from unhealthy bacteria that might have grown in the milk. Uh, no. <laughs> food poisoning can be so mild you might not even realize you have it. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> uh, you might develop stomach cramps, nausea, diarrhea, or fever. It can last for hours or days. This part is true. It just has nothing to do with expired milk. Mm-hmm. Since mm. raw milk isn't pasteurized, it has a better chance of containing bacteria and can cause serious illness, especially for anyone with com- comprised compromised immune system yes but has nothing to do and so that myth is proliferated out there um over and over again oh so uh, yeah go go ahead do you want to i was coughing i'm sorry i I muted i muted and then i coughed but what you know what i was uh what i was going to jump into was um you know this milk um we've just completed a project on um, food safety at pantries, um, looking at some food handling behaviors, but as well the, this concept of um, what food pantries see as um, 
uh, problematic when it comes to um, handling you know expired food, and I say that in Richard Fingers, mm. um, because the you know this this concept of dating is is so um, uh, so un. Um, uh, uh, unknown or misunderstood or, or whatever. So, so here's a really interesting thing that came out of some of that 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 work. Um, my, you know, the um, student who was working on it, Ashley Chaffetz, went out and interviewed a bunch of people. And in some pantries, they very explicitly go through all foods, whether it be canned foods, you know, non-perishables, and they look at those dates and. Some pantries will not pass on what they would say expired foods, even though it's really just foods past their best before date, to um, you know people that need food because they feel that that product wouldn't make it into the marketplace, right? So, so I'm not going to give the perception is I'm not going to give something to somebody who is is food insecure um, that is not before it's best before day because I wouldn't expect someone who was not food insecurity to eat that food, which, which kind of blows my mind. Like it's, I, I, it's a, um, I guess it's an equity issue, but as well as not a, a science-based kind of discussion, because if we peel back the layers, just like you did with the, with the milk on why those dates are there and, and knowing that it may have to do with quality, but, but maybe not, um, and not a not a safety issue at all. It's there's this you know, gross misunderstanding of of those dates, and I, and I say that as like, oh my gosh, people don't understand. I don't really have any solutions on how to make it better. Like we can kind of you know, like you know, piss or piss about it. Wait, I don't even think that's the right term. We can cry about it. Piss, but, piss and moan. I think piss and moan. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, but it's like um, you know, it, it's not. It, it, it's it's one one thing that I don't think there's a lot of folks that are that are trying to you know fix that and I, because I don't think there's I don't know how to do it. I mean I don't even have any ideas on it other than explaining here's why it's there and this is why it's not there but um, yeah I don't know yeah and and while while we're while we're talking about that I want to uh, segue to uh, again more confusion about dating and 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 uh, uh, myths on the internet um, have you heard of the egg float test. Oh, my mic was off again. Oh, oh yes, I have. Oh, so why don't you why don't you tell? So I've got I've got a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about, but why don't you just tell tell the listeners about what the egg float test is and and also your opinion of it? So the egg float test is supposed to tell you whether an egg is quote good or not, <laughs> um, as far as I, I I understand, and it is um, uh, you would put it put an egg in uh, water. And if it sank, then it is fresh and good. And if it um, if it floats, then it is not good because for some magical reason, um, the floating matters from a safety standpoint. Really, what the floating is doing is telling you that there is some air that's that's in there because it is the egg has started to pull away from um, the shell a little bit. But but it's there are. Um, sources out there that would say if your egg is floating, throw it out. Do not use it. 
Right, right. And well, and in, and in fact, eggs have a natural – so in the last couple of days, I've become a little bit of an expert on the egg – just a little bit of yeah, an expert yeah. on, the, on the, the, the egg float test. And so as I understand it, eggs are, are, are created with different amounts of air and then oh, in, in the egg. And then over time, uh, th- that because the, the – the, the, the contents of the – they may dehydrate. They may lose water and then you know that's displaced with potentially with air that as eggs get older, they have a greater tendency to float. But there is so much variation between eggs that in fact this egg float test is really not a useful indication of anything and it certainly doesn't tell you if the eggs are spoiled, right? Right. But, so I got a, a, a nice request from from a, 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 through uh, IFT uh, Food Science Communicators um, with a woman. Turns out I, I actually worked with her before. She's a freelance uh, health journalist in Los Angeles, and she wanted to do apparently. And oh my God, this is going to you know depress you or blow your mind or whatever. Apparently, um, she, she what this is. I'm trying to get an exact quote of what she said to me. So my editor says that egg floating is a really hot SEO item right now. So we need to write something on egg floating. No, and, that didn't happen. Yeah, and so and and for those of you that don't know, SEO stands for search engine optimization. It is basically what it says is that oh, if we want lots of hits for our website, we need to write about this thing because it will get us page hits on Google and people will come to our site, which I would say is probably not the reason you want to be doing journalism. You want to be doing journalism because you want to share relevant information. But hey, you know, when uh, when life gives you egg floaters, you, you float SEO. eggs. Yeah, you make <laughs> SEO. Exactly. You make SEO um, omelets. So, and, and, I, and so if you do, I'm not going to do it right now because it will just depress me. If you do a Google search for floating eggs, you'll find lots of websites telling you that this this is what you should do. And it is very hard to find reputable websites that say that this is complete BS, right? But there is a pretty good one on um, uh, IncredibleEgg.org, and we will link to that, which is which is you know, egg egg industry backed uh, kind of website where, for factual information. Um, but you know some good information on uh, on egg quality, and and I actually we got into in a follow up uh, conversation with her, we got into haw units, and I don't know if you how much you know about haw units, Ben, but but basically no, the haw unit is a measure of the thickness. What what will happen with egg Eggs over time is as the eggs age, um, they the white of the egg tends to sink down, um, and so as you as your egg gets older, it will be as you crack it an, an uncooked egg onto a flat surface, it will become flatter and flatter as the egg ages. Now I couldn't find any indication of like. So that happens over time, but I couldn't find any indication as to what the maximum or what the, what the mechanism was behind what's going on there. So probably something to do with protein degradation over time and maybe disulfide bonds and something, something, but couldn't really find anything on it. But the bottom line is that there is not a lot. If you, again, I see why they're doing a story on this because my God, it's all over the internet. It just all happens to be wrong. Um, there is a really good uh, web page, which I, which is, uh, which we will, we will link to in show notes from University of Nebraska Lincoln, uh, entitled "Cracking the Date Code on Egg Cartons." And so this brings us back to our discussion about about the milk documentary, and and eggs are interesting because they are required to have um, a pack date, which is shown as a Julian date. Now, Ben, do you know what a Julian date is? I do. I do know what a Julian date is, Don. I could not tell you what today's Julian date is, but I know that it. 
it is the you know whatever day of the year counting starting at one on January first, counting up to three hundred and sixty five on uh, December thirty first. Or conversely, if you are very um, excited about how you uh, make your Julian dates, which uh, when I did some work in the um, uh, greenhouse vegetable industry, they would do a Julian date counting down from December 31st, uh, so December 31st I, being one. I think that would be the anti-Julian date. It, it was, but they used <laughs> but it they, because so people wouldn't know if they did figure uh, out that they were using Julian date codes what date it was packed on. Isn't that bizarre? Anyway. <laughs> speaking of codes, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in the after show, but uh, um, the um, – uh, the Imitation Game is an excellent movie about codes. We'll come I, back to that. I want to um, watch that. Yeah. Oh, okay, so good. good. So good. But um, yeah, so, so, so basically the pack date is a Julian date. It essentially is a, a number that you can, in, you, you can figure out what it means if you, if you know that that's the, the Julian date. So on, they have a nice picture on this University of Nebraska website that shows the plant number followed by the, the pack date as a Julian date. So you can look at that, and then if you have this calculator in your head or probably on your phone, it will tell you that uh, – January 1st is 001 and December 31st is, is 365 unless it's a ye- leap year and then I guess it's 366. But there also is a sell-by date. But here's the thing. The Julian date and the sell-by date tell you nothing about whether the egg is spoiled. They tell you very little about the safety of the egg. The bottom line is... Yes, you should certainly purchase eggs before the sell-by date. And if you find eggs in the store that are after the sell-by date, don't buy them. And in fact, do do your good turn and tell the manager, hey, look, these are past the sell-by date. You should not be selling them, right? Um, and then uh, when you buy those eggs, bring them home. And as it says on this University of Nebraska website, use them within three to five weeks, three to five weeks of when you purchase them. Now, now what will happen is during that time, you may be past the sell-by date, but that's probably okay, especially if you you are going to keep the eggs refrigerated and you are going to cook your eggs. So it's anyway, really, it's really not a problem unless you were going to resell those eggs, which, <laughs> right. which, which you probably shouldn't do. You anyway. probably shouldn't do. Right. Um, but, but the bottom line is the, the flow test is, is pretty much, uh, nonsense. And, but, but again, you know, the internet, man, Ben, oh, the internet awesome. is a blessing and, and a curse. How about this here? So from what's cooking America, why do some eggs float? Uh, this is uh, uh, a, uh, a website that was made, I think, in 1998. Um, and I will text you so you can look at the fantastic uh, formatting of it. Question, if you have kept eggs past the use before date, try to boil them. If And if most sink to the bottom of the pan, if you float in the water, should you throw them out of the floating eggs, blah, blah, blah. So here's my favorite part of this. They get into, and I don't know if in your research you got into egg tilting. As well, so they say if an is egg like, stays on, is that like cow tipping? I think it's like <laughs> if you were playing, um, if you were playing pinball with them. Okay. It's all on tilt. Um, if the egg stays at the bottom, it's fresh. If the egg's at an angle on the bottom, it's still fresh and good to eat. If the egg stands on its pointed end at the bottom, it's still safe to eat, uh, but best if used for baking and making hard cooked eggs. If the egg floats, they're stale and best discarded. Well, and when I got into this, so I had a follow-up call with uh, with this reporter, and she was like, well, what can you tell me about the shake test? The <laughs> I'm shake like, well, test. you'll have to tell me what the shake test is. So apparently, you have to be in a very quiet room, no. <laughs> and then you hold the egg next to your ear, 
and you shake it. And you hear the salmonella. And, and, and if, you, if, you, if you hear it, I guess, the, and this maybe comes back to the, the air bubble thing. If it sloshes a lot, don't use it. If it doesn't slosh very much, it's okay. And I'm like, well, that might be good to tell if an egg is hard-boiled <laughs> or not. Oh, and then we actually did get in some useful tips, although it's past uh, it's past Easter's time. You know, hard-boiled eggs, uh, don't, don't, don't make hard-boiled eggs and then hide them and then eat them later, right? Make hard-boiled eggs and, um, uh, and then put them in the fridge and eat them later. If you're going to hide eggs, try, maybe hide plastic eggs with candy in them. <laughs> so that's your Easter tip for after Easter and a show that's going to air after, after, after Easter. Uh, fan, fantastic. Um, well, it'll be in time for next year's Easter. Well, in also time. the shake test on. I think you got it wrong. I did check the Urban Dictionary. Yes. <laughs> oh um, God. Yeah. It is a uh, simple two-step maneuver performed while drinking to test one's level of drunkenness. Step one: shake head. Step two: evaluate how drunk you are by how long it takes your surroundings to stop spinning. Goal: keep them spinning. After all this rum, I just had to do a shake test to make sure I could type this right. Thank you, Urban Dictionary, for the shake test. Very good. Oh, man. What a, uh, uh, uh. So one side of me gets frustrated when we have these conversations. The other side sees this as, as a great opportunity to, to do better there, at communicating. There is, there is so much work left to do, Ben. There's I mean, a lot of work. I, I could not. I just. I could not believe. Like usually, I mean, I, I. I think Google generally does a good job. I. I blew my mind that the first page of Google, when you Google the float test, had just nonsense. You know, float test egg, and it was just absolute nonsense. Now, I guess you know we can use the the ninja trick of like float test egg, but only .edu sites or .org sites. But oh my God, what a mess! The internet, the internet. <laughs> continually reminded of that XKCD cartoon. I can't go to sleep. Someone on the internet is wrong. Exactly. If you really want to throw out all your eggs, just to add salt water into the. Just add salt into the water and see if they float then. Exactly. <laughs> oh. oh, fun, fun, fun. Um, hey, so speaking of food safety, mm-hmm. see what I did there? See, nice. That was, like a, that was like a thing. Segway. It was a, good, it was a segue. Um, not to be we, confused with the scooter. <laughs> no, not a not, – or, um, yeah, or a powered scooter. Um, where there's some kid in my, in my neighborhood that has this like gas-powered scooter that runs on a lawnmower – engine i bet that's delightful on a sunday morning it's it's wonderful it's wonderful um hey so there's some interesting listeria stuff going on that i did want to chat about yes um two i guess two situations and one um that i wanted to you know get your get your take on um i wrote a blog post about this last week um and it's about hummus Mm. oh yes sabra hummus and I, so here's here's the here's the setup that is that is in my um, it, it, you know, in my blog post. Um, I last week uh, on uh, Monday night I played hockey. Um, or wait, maybe it was sorry. Last Wednesday night I was I played hockey. Came home as I do when I get home. I like to um, eat some snacks that might be um, in my. Uh, that might be, you know, in my pantry and I check my email and see what's going on. And so one of the emails <laughs> and, and not necessarily in that order and, not, and it might matter in this case. Right. Exactly. So the, what happened, what I happened to do is the snacks that I ate were, I'm really into these special K, 
uh, Pops potato chips. Do you know about these things? I don't. Oh, my gosh. So I love potato chips, and, and since I've been – you know, very conscious about the things that I eat and trying, you know, desperately hard to, to keep weight off because I could just eat and eat and eat and working out and all this good stuff. Um, I, I have found that Special K has these like really good tasting potato chips that are, if you eat, I think it's 30 of them are 110 calories and they're not fried they're they're popped or puffed or something they're like they're basically like rice cakes but made out of potatoes there's a lot of sodium that mm. part's not good mm-hmm. for me but anyway i get a bag of those and i literally this is my my system i um i don't eat them out of the bag i eyeball what i think is about 20 chips and i throw that into a bowl and say that is my snack and then i'm going to eat some hummus so literally i do that thing I step towards um, our, um, our our breakfast bar where I, it is like com- if I stand, it's like a standing desk where it's the perfect height for my computer. I'm you know it's twelve thirty at night. I'm eating some hummus, just a little thing. I dip away at my hummus. I'm chewing on it. Bam! Open my email. What's been recalled? <laughs> Literally the hummus I'm eating. <laughs> Amazing, right? So the the thing with us, we we consume quite a bit of hummus. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my kids, it's about the only vegetable type food that they eat, you know, or bean food or whatever. Mm -hmm. Non, yeah, they're not, they're not good eaters. Mm. And, and we have like multiple hummus bins in, in different, differing stages of, you know, consumption. Some that are almost done, some that are at the top because the kids really only want to eat the ones that are new. And so we, so basically what happens, we have maybe three at one time in our fridge and they eat enough that it's not, you know, they can't dip everything out of it. So then I eat the rest of it. Um, and, and so I read about this recall, um, uh, 300,000, I think it was, um, um, uh, let me get the right, the right number here. Um, Sorry, 30,000 cases of, of classic hummus. Um, and it is a specific lot uh, with a specific code and best before date. Um, and, uh, and, and it's because, uh, you know, this recall was initiated because the uh, Michigan Department of Agriculture did some routine sampling and found listeria in, in the hummus. And then there's all this like massive recall. And then people, I mean, the next day the internet is is going crazy, right? Because if we have listeria in certain foods, I guess like people love their hummus and it had the same type of uh, reaction to me, you know, as I'm eating, it's like, oh man, this might be recalled. So it turns out the stuff that I have in my fridge is not part of the recall. So the codes don't match up. The best before dates, I'm actually looking at best before dates that were before the ones that are recalled. Um, I don't know anything about them. And I do maybe not the best um, reactionary job from a science-based situation. But I've told you before, when it comes to my kids, I'm kind of irrational about this stuff. Because what if, it, you know, the I guess the worst situation is, I have good signs, but maybe more information evolves, and then my kids do get sick for this off, you know, uh, off the chance reason. But I did have the product, and I made a conscious decision not to chuck it because it wasn't part of the recall. Like I'm, I'm clearly overthinking all of this. But in, so instead of dealing with all that mess in my head, I just throw them out. But the blog post I write 
at like 1.30 in the morning about this is here are all the questions that, are, that I'm left with that are not in the recall announcement. It doesn't tell me, and if I really am going to, if you, if, if both FDA and USDA and the industry wants, wants people to make a, a science-based decision um, on stuff that might be associated with the recall but might not be, they need to tell people why that is. So no one, you know, there's no information about how much contamination there was. If it was, and, and I, I, you know, so I, so I write about this and say, was it 10 CFU per gram? Is it a million CFU per gram? Really, I know that that's like um, an, a question that no one is going to answer because it's a ready to eat food and the regulatory world says it's presence absence. But really, it it does matter, right? Like it, we, you and I have talked about this uh, a lot. It matters to know, especially for listeria, how much it is. And it matters for the for the industry to know how much was there. And it does matter for me if I'm making some sort of a decision on it. I also need to know how long the product was in storage, how long it was transported, how long it was in my fridge, like this whole time temperature combination thing. I know what the temperature of my fridge is. I I don't know. I mean, literally don't know how long that hummus has been in my fridge. Um, I can guess check at the it. best before date, man. Right, I can <laughs> guess at the best before the best before dates were were in May, so I was I was good to go. But I don't know how long. I still don't know what the length of time was. Um, and and those best before dates, I don't. I mean, are they based on there's listeria? What's the growth rate in hummus? I don't know. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, the stuff that I was you know what I wrote about here is the stuff that I've been feeding my kids is different code, but we've seen. Time and time again, outbreaks expand. So how did they make their decision that only these 30,000 cases were going to be recalled? Was it that was one lot? Probably. Was there some sort of sanitation clean break between an earlier lot and a later lot and says, okay, this is the only one that, that we know is affected with listeria, but how do I know that that sanitation was validated? All those questions are in my head. Um, why, you know, how they... Um, how do they know how well the sanitation crew did their job? I mean, all this stuff. Anyway, so I, to me, I made this decision, which, uh, and then I posted about it on Facebook and was like, look, I'm just going to chuck it out because there's just too many questions. And I think that these questions, some of these questions are answers for them. And I don't know why, I'm, I don't know why I hadn't, you know, thought about this kind of thing before. I guess it was because I wasn't actually eating the product when the recall came across. But, um, why don't we share all that stuff? Like, I don't. I, I, maybe, maybe it's because the industry and the and the regulators don't think that we'll understand it because we can't understand eggs mm-hmm. <laughs> and floating eggs. I mean, that that that's a valid valid reason. But that could really, um, it would help. It would have helped me make make a better decision. Well, and you know what? Sometimes what what the FDA will do or the CDC will do on their website, which I think is really good, is you have an introductory paragraph that basically gives the top-level summary. If you don't read anything else, read this. It will tell you what to do. And then below the fold, there will be questions. Right. Right? And, 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 And so you can break out each of those specific questions and say, 
we don't know the answer to this. And here's why we don't know the answer to this. Or we, we have a guess. We think the answer is this, right? And so there are ways to structure the press release or there are ways to structure the information so that people that want to know more know more, but that people that just want the high-level summary um, you know, don't, don't have to read below the fold. And just to let you know, and I, I, it's really interesting. This must be a really popular product or it must resonate with a certain kind of person to say that the, you know, this really blew up on the internet because – Literally at the same time as, as you are posting this message on, on April 9th, I am getting an email on April 9th. I had just returned uh, from – this was two weeks ago now – an IAFP board meeting in Des Moines, my last one, though sad, uh, sad noise. Um, but I got a message from our executive director, David Tharp, who says, uh, Don, we have some Sabra hummus in our fridge. It's right. not the plane that is under the recall, but it is a red pepper hummus. My thought is to throw it out. What would be your advice? And my answer, my short answer, it's probably safe, but if it makes you feel better, better, throw it out. And then David, because he's not a food safety scientist, but he hangs around with a lot of food safety scientists and he's familiar with the way these things go. Exactly the, your point, Ben, that this recall could expand is, thanks, Don, I th- I just thought if they had a problem on one line, they might have similar issues on other production lines, right? And 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 in fact, I shared that with you saying yeah. that would be a good podcast topic. And then, and then, and then, and you shared your blog post and then I sent it back to, uh, sent it back to David and he says, yes, thanks. I think we'll toss it too. He says, it's kind of funny because his wife usually makes her own hummus, but this time she thought, what the heck, I'll save some time and effort and buy it in the container. And he says, I think she's going to go back to making her own. So uh, yeah, and and we and again, we are the same way, right? Uh, Kristen will, will make uh, hummus from scratch occasionally and we will also buy this particular brand of hummus and it's it's a nice product. We, we do like it. We do, we do eat it on uh, – a variety of, uh, of products. Um, uh, my go-to snack food, would, since we're talking about it, is a rice cracker, which is similar to your um, your puffed uh, Special K puffed uh, potato yes. thing. Again, right. lo- low calories for a lot of a uh, lot of you know a lot of crunching. So, but anyway, interesting interesting that the way this thing really really lit up on the internet. And then just before, and I don't we don't want to get into a complete other topic because I think we're we're probably running a little bit long on time, um, given we both have a, a hard out. Um, at the top of the hour, but um, listeria in ice cream. And right. we talked a little bit about this and, you know, some rumblings from unofficial rumblings from the FDA saying that they think that it might have been a low dose. And I don't know, I, I got into a little bit of a back and forth with a couple of FDAers two weeks ago. I won't say any more than that, but if you know my travel schedule and you know which FDAers I might have been hanging out <laughs> with, you can probably figure out who they were. Yes. Um, and one, one insisting um, that it was low dose and me calling him out and the other one taking me aside later and saying, yeah, that was, you were probably right to call him out. I'm not sure he's right on that. So <laughs> anyway, we'll leave that cryptic uh, bomb drop there um, about dissension within the FDA. But but anyway, it, really interesting. I think, you know, man, you had to pick two organisms to focus on, salmonella and listeria. You could do a whole lot worse than those two because they seem to just come up again and again. How, how like crazy on this ice cream thing since the last time we talked is it that and i commend fda on this i think that this is changing how we're doing food safety linda talked about it when she talked here um in uh in january um uh, about um doing this full genome sequencing and then going back to cases that are in PulseNet um and going back in time like this you know now now we've linked to other 
illnesses from April or from um, sorry May March and May 2011 to this outbreak, right? Like a phenomenal kind of situation mm-hmm. where it's this product likely that the that the um, uh, the the, the uh, one of the October 2014 illnesses has the exact same um, genome. Yep. Yeah. And and this this is absolutely revolutionizing food safety. Um, I'm a little I'm a little worried though. And again, we maybe we should spend some time and talk about this now since it's since it's top of mind. Um, there have been rumblings about the changes going on in clinical micro, right? Mm-hmm. That with clinical micro, we no longer have culture isolates. They're, they're basically doing molecular methods. They're certainly not doing whole genome sequencing, right? And so we're losing the clinical piece. And you, you've got to have the culture isolate to do yeah. the whole genome sequence, right? So, and, but, but again, that's not the objective of clinical micro and the objective of doctors and, and the healthcare system is to get sick people better, not to I mean, maybe proactively, yes, we need to we need to to prevent the problem next time, or we need to learn more about it. But that's not the way healthcare is going, right? Healthcare is going towards let's figure out what and just enough so that we can begin treatment of the disease, and we really don't care what the genome was of the organism that makes you sick. But that is absolutely essential information if we are going to. Uh, uh, you know, f- f- figure out what's going on with the outbreak. Right, right. If we're going to prevent them, right? Like right. if we're, if we're, uh, I mean, it's the classic of, okay, let's treat the symptom literally in this mm-hmm. case. But what, what you and I are interested in is going back and looking at, uh, at what the cause was. And the more information we have, including those isolates, helps us complete that picture in, you know, or, or gives us more pieces of the picture at least. Um, it's, it's just fascinating how, how this is, um, how, you know, I, I spoke so no you know last topic for me um, you and I had spoken a year ago about um, uh, this FDA um, uh, filth and spices report mm-hmm. and Cheryl Dean from the American Spice Trade Association emailed us afterwards and we talked about um, her follow-up to us and then she invited you and I actually to go down and give a talk at their education conference and it was this week you were you were already tied up in Chicago and I went to, to Charleston to give that talk and that industry is is exactly you know and what I gave what I said in my talk was these types of outbreaks are the types of problematic things for for this industry where where you can go back in time and say this shelf stable product paprika cumin um, pepper has has been linked to illnesses historically, and it's the exact same pathogen. And it's stuff that you might not have even been purchasing from this supplier back six years ago when the outbreak happened, or when the outbreak started. Like it's it, they they it, it, the more it, I, I, I didn't really give them an, a, 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 any solutions other than saying you just need to be aware that this is how FDA is looking at outbreaks, and this is a good thing for us to understand more about it. But there could be a world of hurt for the industry when we start connecting these cases back four or five years in, yep. in history. And, yep. it's, and, and I think afterwards, a couple of people came up and they're like, they're really doing this? And I was like, yeah. Yep. I mean, yep. literally like big right way. now, yep. this is what's going on. Coming in a big, big way. Yeah. Yep. It's re- it was really it was really kind of it's really fascinating to look at it this way. This is a big like for for me. This is probably you know when I started my career in food safety was right when PFGE was being 
used. And so I've only ever known that PFG, you know, post-PFG system and, and, and the other molecular methods. I didn't know what it was like before then. Like, I didn't see PFG as a game changer because it was the only game in town. Right. This is a game changer to me. Yeah. This, and, and PFGE, I would say, was a step change. This is another step change. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Well, hey. That's a show. It, let's call it a show. Let's uh, let's let's get out of here. Let's let's do our thing. You got to go to Europe. I got to go teach a class. <laughs> well, I got to go meet with a bunch of students first, but yeah, eventually go go to Europe soon. Well, yeah, soon, soon, soon Europe. All right. Well, Don, thanks again. Uh, well, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Ben. Bye bye. Bye. So there was a very interesting thing on uh, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast a couple episodes ago where apparently there are people listening and they do the same thing with After Dark on that show. They play yeah. the outro and then they talk. And uh, there apparently are people that 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 have now that never knew that there wasn't an, an after dark on that show, and I'm sure there probably are people who listen to this show who who don't realize that there's an after dark. But um, I guess you know whatever. It's just a little little Easter egg yeah. there, a little hard boiled Easter egg in the fridge uh, for our listeners right right here. It's an Easter egg that that floats. It's a spoiled, <laughs> it's a spoiled Easter. It's a spoiled egg. Oh, my son. So I'm getting texts from Danny um, right now. Uh oh. No, no, it's good. Uh, Sam, so Fridays, he doesn't go to, go to school, uh, preschool. So we have this new gym that I told you about in the last, in the last episode. And they have all this like fantastic kid stuff. He went to yoga today. Oh, and so she great. sent me a picture, which I will text you now, um, of his post yoga pose, <laughs> um, which, is, which is hilarious. I don't know how to do that. I guess I gotta do this. Um, I have you ever done done yoga, Don? You know, I I did yoga back in graduate school. Oh, um, back back when it was back in the in the day. Back in the day, I, I went to a, a, a yoga class um, at, at University of Georgia, and it was fantastic. I mean, it really. I at that point, at that point, I hadn't. I had. Yeah, this was this was pre pre. Um, um, so there's a phase, uh, uh, let's see. So, so graduate school, I did yoga at really liked it, really got into it, was going like two times a week. Um, 
um, and then just got out of the habit um, and then uh, moved to New Jersey, you know, got, got married, had a kid, moved to New Jersey more. Yeah. In that order. Um, <laughs> and then uh, started a, a meditation practice and, and the, the yoga, although it was like sort of physical and mental in the meditation practice, the Zen, Zen, Zen in particular, Zen meditation practice um, really, it changes your perception in, in, in a very positive way. And since then I have, uh, I don't do yoga and I don't uh, have a meditation practice uh, anymore or currently. Um, but I miss it. And, and Kristen does go to the gym and they do have a uh, yoga, uh, class at the gym. And, and, and I, sh- I really should, I mean, I know, you know, it's one of those getting old things. You guess you, you know, you're going to lose flexibility. There's so many yeah. things I should be doing. I mean, at least I'm doing the f- first one, which may be the hardest one, which is losing weight, but I'm kind of, you know, getting to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. So I need to pick the next thing to do. Um, I was thinking it's going to be strength chain training, which would work against, uh, stretching and yoga, but yeah, anyway, yoga, sorry. That was a long, uh, that was a long answer to a simple question. No, that's, that's a good, that's why we do, that's why we do the after dark. So we get, we get to know each other better. We've only been doing this for like, what, almost four years. Oh my God. Your son is so cute. He is. Look at him. We did good. We did good yeah. with him. We did good with both of them. Yeah, I think um, so. That's a, that's a that's a, he's a little tilted. He is. He is. He but but he's yeah. but he's not falling over. So no. that's. Uh, well, I'll find out. I, I you know I'll ask him what that's called, and I'm sure he'll tell me. It's <laughs> leaning like, Tower of Pisa. Yeah, leaning leaning shark or something. Leaning jaws. Um. Well, yeah. So I've I've been, you know, I've been th- thinking about yoga. Mm. Um, from, from a flexibility standpoint, you know, I, I, so here, here's my like workout regime right now. I'm really enjoying, um, like I enjoy the healthy me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so I've been running uh, quite a bit. I'm, I'm up to around, um, 40 miles a month. So like 10 miles a week oh. and, mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm playing hockey a couple times a week and then I'm coaching hockey. Uh, and then I'll do a spin class and usually a, a strength training class, but I'm just missing like, in a, like a sort of relaxation, um, uh, stretching kind of, you know, I, I do a little bit of that on my own, but I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking, I was like, I'd like, I should go. And we have, you know, this gym has got yoga. There's no reason for me not to go. So I'm going to, yeah. so I'm going to go now that my kids are going. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, yeah, it's yeah, not going to shame you into it. They will. They will. Yeah. That's, that's fine. That's what yeah, I, I, re- I really enjoyed uh, when I took yoga class. Cool. Um, hey, so w- the code thing. Good movie? Oh, know, my Cumber, God. Cumberbatch. Oh, my God. So good. So good. What's it, um, the imagination game? Uh, the imitation game. Imitation and, game. And it's about Alan Turing, right? And the idea and the, the, the title is a reference to the Turing test. Do you know what the Turing test is? Nope. Okay, so... It's probably best that I don't know these things. No, it's it's, it's a kind of a um, <coughs> it's it's kind of a uh, it's not. It's a little weird how they work it into the title um, and the movie. It just okay. it doesn't quite add up for me. But basically, a Turing test is a test of a of a machine's ability to, to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human. I'm reading from Wikipedia. <clears throat> Ah, there it is. And so the idea is that you are communicating with someone via a terminal and you don't know if that person is a human or a robot. Um, but but the, that doesn't really have that much to do with the movie. It's really about his time 
um, in uh, Bletchley Park um, during World War II when they're trying to crack the Nazi Enigma machine, which is the Nazi machine for uh, that the Nazis were using to send all of their um, coded messages. And it's just... It's a hell of a story, and it's just he's great. And he's good. I love him. Yeah, and it's just it's so it's so good. It's so good. Uh, you guys really, watch Sherlock, right? Yes, we do. Okay, good. Yes, yeah. we do. He's, so. he's very compelling in that in that show. I love, yeah, and he was like he was that. he was very good as the villain in that the Star Trek movie too. See, I, I haven't seen that. Oh, and my, yeah. my my dad said, you know, so my my parents are like big time Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. Hobbit nerds, and mm-hmm. my dad said he was fantastic in the Hobbit as well. Oh. He's oh, as a, Smog. He was the voice yeah. of Smog. Yeah, it yeah. Was, he's very good. I mean, it's not really him, right? It's his right, voice, right. It's but his oh. Voice. Well, they yeah. actually did. I, so as I was sitting with my parents a couple of weeks ago, read about it. All the movements are him. Him. Okay. Yeah. So they like they, they did the like whole put thing. yeah, and then, then they use that movement to translate right. to the dragon's body. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is cool how they how they that do they that can stuff. do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of of nerding out for the last you know five minutes before we have to go. Um, did you see the Star Wars trailer, the new one? Oh, the nerds have been talking about it. It Dude, is on my list. I'm going to go watch it right now. Do watch it now. It's amazing. And okay. I, I don't know what makes it. it the, the first one was good. Like the first first one. This one, all of a sudden, I was like, I want to watch this movie right now. Yeah, that's that's what the nerds have been saying. So, yeah, I heard, I've heard it ex- just exploded on Twitter. And yeah. uh, nobody had a link in Twitter. And so I, I just like, oh, I got to go look that up. And, of course, you it's a first hit on Google, but but uh, yeah, I'm going to watch it right now. Uh, Doug emails me last night because we were going back and forth on some stuff, and here's the the message is from him: Star Wars. Are you getting a boner about the new trailer being released? <laughs> and my answer is, yeah, sorta. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was awesome. Like it, I don't know. I I don't get hyped up by this stuff too much. Um, I think it's because my kids are really into this. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm, I'm looking forward to. It's gonna be the Christmas holidays. This will be a big deal. We'll go to the theater. It'll be this event. Jack is so very into the other six movies that that he he has a concept that this new thing's coming out and it's not coming out for months and it's a big deal for everyone. Yeah, and I like that. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty cool. So yeah, go watch the trailer. You'll love it. Um, and. And Han Solo and, and Chewbacca make an appearance. Yeah, I heard. I heard that was spoiled for me already by yeah. a couple of ladies, uh, ladies that I follow on Twitter, uh, saying uh, inappropriate things about <laughs> where he, where he could crash their their plane or his plane or something. I don't know. I didn't quite get it. He's like a hundred years old now, and, he and he's like still he's, sexy. He's, yeah. yeah, that guy. He is. Uh, um, and yeah, he, he. I don't know how old is this guy. Seventy two. It's not that old. Less and less old every day, man. I know, I know. Both of us. Oh gosh. All right. Um, that should be it. I gotta go I gotta go teach some some undergrads about uh, what I do. Oh, awesome. Have yeah, fun. Be good. Thanks. Uh have a good time in, in Cardiff. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking I'm, forward I'm to it. Sad to to not be able to make it over there um for this. It was I wish I had planned my my days better because it would have been this I, I love I love Cardiff. I love visiting the folks at the now Metropolitan University of Wales in mm-hmm. Cardiff. Yep. Um, uh, the, uh, they have they have shaped a lot of my career, so it's a fun oh. it's a fun place to go. Yeah, nice, cool. I'll well, have a good time. All Talk right, to you later. Bye. Bye.